Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41. We are completing the book of Genesis and uh, we're getting very close. And I want to encourage you not to miss the next two weeks. This message along with the next two weeks, I consider to be three of the most important messages that God has given us all year long because it determines how we view our our identity in Christ. And uh, we're looking at the character of Joseph, who is one of the greatest biblical characters in all of God's word. And uh, his name carries with it uh, a whole lot of value. And your name carries with it a lot of value. And the question is, what kind of value does it carry? So look at your neighbor and say, I like your name. Now ask your neighbor, what does it mean? And often we have names, we don't even know what they mean. Now, historically, when people named somebody, they named them for a reason. And uh, the reason uh, they, they named them that was, was maybe there was someone in their life that, that they admired, and so they said, well, I'm naming my son after that guy, okay? Or it was a, a, a blessing from God, and so they named uh, their baby uh, about the blessing, all right? But today it's not so much so, it's just a name, but it carries with you from the moment that you get here until the moment that the Lord takes you out of here into your forever destiny. And so the problem is, is often our name equates our identity. Who we are, it is a reflection of our name. Our name is a reflection of who we are. So much so that on, on more than one occasion, I, when I go visit a family who's just had a newborn baby, uh, often you get down there and, that, man, that time's ticking. They don't have a name for the baby. Now, they've got it narrowed down to half a dozen, okay? And so they say they have a little girl, and they've got it narrowed down to a few, and this is what I've heard more than one time. Well, uh, she wants, excuse me, he wants to name our little girl this, but we're not naming our little girl that because I went to school with a girl named that. And man, she was nasty. And I'm not naming my baby after nasty girl. You know, now they may not use those words. Those are my words. Or I get this. uh, The guy says, well, she wants to name our son this, but my boss's name is that. And I don't even like him. So I'm not every time I look at my baby thinking about my boss. You see, a name and a reputation and and, and identity follows along uh, with your name. So the question is, what does your name mean? Now, I could find out what your name means. I could ask you, and on your little name tag, you could write some of the things that would define you. And if I asked you to do that, most of you would have very flattering characteristics about yourself. Well, I'm kind and gentle, and ladies, I love my husband, and I am this, and I'm a great mother, and the guys would be like, I'm a great provider, and you know, and I take care of my family, and I work hard. So, But I would rather go to your spouse or your 
your children and let them fill out your little card about what your name really means. And if I really wanted to know who you are and what your name means, I would go to God and say, God, what do you see? What do you, uh, how would you define or describe this person's name based on their life? Now, then it gets a little sobering. It's a whole lot better when we get to fill out our own card, you know, but when we have to get somebody else or even God himself, things change. So I want to tell you, no matter where you are in your life, and maybe you were given your name at birth, and, and, and when you think about the storyline that follows your name, maybe it isn't very flattering, maybe it isn't very uh, appealing to God, maybe it has some negative uh, uh, chapters in your storyline that goes with your name. I got good news for you. God is all about changing the story that's connected to your name. And all of us have things in our life connected to our name that we would rather not have connected to our name. And so in today's passage, we're going to look at this guy, Joseph, and the title of the message is, What's Your Name? And in Genesis chapter 41, we find a change in the story of Joseph. And it's a long way to change if you're Joseph. It's a long way to change for you maybe today. But today could be the day that God changes your story to go with your name. In Genesis chapter 41, let's read so we get the narrative, we get the context. It says, at the end of two full years, pause, two full years after he has interpreted dreams for the cupbearer and the baker, and they have come true. And you remember he told the cupbearer, hey, cup bearer. He said, bro, don't forget Jojo, your boy, the one who interprets your dreams. When you get out and he restores you to your position, you tell him where your dream interpretation came from. Two years now have gone by. Twelve years ultimately, Joseph has been incarcerated falsely. So that's, that's where he's at. Two more years have passed, 12 years of prison term. And now Pharaoh had a dream. And as he was standing by the Nile, seven fine-looking fat cows were coming up out of the Nile, and they grazed in the reeds. And the, then seven bad-looking thin cows were coming up after them from the Nile, and they stood beside the other cows at the edge of the river. Then the bad-looking thin cows ate the seven fine-looking fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. Then he fell asleep again and had a second dream. There were seven heads of grain growing on one stalk and healthy and good, and then seven heads of grain thin and burned by the east wind were sprouting up after them. The thin heads swallowed up the seven healthy and full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up and realized it was a dream. In the morning he was troubled, so he called for all of the diviner priests of Egypt and all of its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Verse 9, then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, oh, now he's going to remember, okay? He says, today I recall my failures. He says, Pharaoh was enraged with his servants, and he put me in prison in the house of the captain of the guards, me and the chief baker. And we each had a dream one night. Each of us had a dream with its own meaning. Now, there was this young man, a Hebrew, a servant of the captain of the guards, and he was with us there in the prison. And we told him our dreams, and he interpreted the meaning of each of our respective dreams for us. And it happened just as he said, and Pharaoh restored me to my office, but he impaled the, the baker. Now, here's the story. Here's the narrative. Okay, Joseph is still in prison. He's been in prison for 12 years. His dream that he had as a boy is wasting away before him. He sees no hope. He has no bright future. The, everybody has forgotten him. 
But there's something about this guy that no matter where he is at, whether he's at home with his dad who loved him, whether he's being carried away by his brothers who hated him, whether he's in the bottom of a cistern cast away, whether he's sold into slavery, whether he finds himself in jail, no matter where he is, you will not find negative narrative about his life. You'll never find him throwing a pity party for Joseph, inviting his friends over, saying, let's hang up some black balloons and black banners because woe is me. You will always find him remaining faithful to God. And so if we didn't say anything else today, I want you to know this. If you will remain faithful to God, he will always be faithful. He's faithful regardless. But if you will remain faithful, he will demonstrate his faithfulness into your life. Point number one, from the prison to the palace. Now, here's a young man. He had a wonderful life. He had a wonderful mother. He had a wonderful dad. He had a wonderful relationship with his dad because he was the son of the wife that his father really wanted. His name represented a beautiful future. His name represented a good family. His name represented the family of God. That's, that's how he began. Now, let me pause right there because there's some people in here who have newborn babies, okay, and, and, and toddlers. And do you remember when they're first born and they're beautiful, okay? I mean, they look like E.T., but they're beautiful. And, uh, and, and they have this bright future. You know, you're like, you, as parents, man, you just, you just see into them. You know, you, you're just like, man, this, my baby's going to be this, or my baby's going to be that. Oh, look how good they are. Look how precious. They're sinners. Let me just go ahead and tell you. They're sinners, okay? They're, they, they got it from you. They're cursed, okay? They're sinners, okay? They just are, okay? And if you don't, if you don't believe it the first day or two, wait till you get them home okay? And they'll demonstrate they're all about themselves, okay? They will prove their sinful condition, okay? You don't have to believe the preacher, but you still believe in them, man. This is going to be great. And then you watch their life unfold, and then they get about two, and they're not so perfect anymore because their favorite word is a two-letter word, and it's no, Okay, and then they turn three, and now they've developed more words that they connect to the word no. Okay, and then they turn 12, and you don't even really think they're yours. You know, you, they were swapped at, at the hospital because there's no little hellion could come from my gene pool like that. Okay, it's true. It's true. And, and, and so I just want to tell you that all of us are that. All of us have a name at birth, and it it has this bright future. And as our future unfolds, it definitely, definitely does not become so bright all the time. If you've got parts of your life that are connected to your name that you kind of wish you could uh, erase, raise your hand. Yeah, the rest of you, liar. You need to erase lying from your life, okay? Because all of us have things in our life that we would rather erase from the record. So now his dream is wasting away, and and with all that change, with all of that change that has come into his life and is now connected to his name, there is one thing that has not changed, his God. His God has not stepped down from his throne one fraction of a second. All the while, 
When Joseph is being treated illy by his brothers and sold into slavery and cast into prison, all the while, in all of that difficulty, all of that, the reality that he is a Hebrew, a, a child of God in a pagan world, at flying solo, all by himself, no, no support group for Joseph, all the while, his God still was on the throne. And all the while, God had a purpose and a plan for everything that happened in his life. Now, you listen to me, church. You listen and hear this. No matter where you are in your life, if you're on a mountaintop and it's sweet, or if you're in a valley low and it's miserably sour, God is still on his throne. And you, in those moments, have to decide, will I question the integrity and the character of God's faithfulness, or will I believe and trust in God even in these moments? Because he's always on his throne, he's always writing a story, and he has not forgotten about you. So that's where Joseph finds himself. And now he's 30 years old, so listen what happens now. So the cupbearer says, oh, I forgot about this guy, this Hebrew servant prisoner. Pharaoh says in verse 14, then Pharaoh summoned Joseph. He summoned him from the prison for an audience with the king in the palace. And so God's timing will never be your timing. And I want you to understand why God's timing is different than your timing. Because we as human beings are in a time continuum that is um, controlled by the lunar cycles and the rotation of the earth and the sun and all of that. So we operate on a timetable. God transcends. He's outside of the time continuum. So God's timeline is different than your timeline. He sees an eternal timeline as if it's all happening in a fraction of a second called now. He sees a billion years from now as clearly as he sees a billion years ago as if it's happening right now. So God has his timetable, and we, meanwhile, are going minutes and hours and days and weeks and years, and we look up, and we're 30 years old like Joseph, and we've spent 12 years in the hammer, okay? And all the while, God is still on his throne. So we have to drop back and realize God's timetable is not our timetable. But let me tell you something about God's timeline. When God moves, it's always right on time. It's never a fraction of a second too early. It's never a fraction of a second too late. It's always right on time. And let me, let me give you a scripture that points to the greatness of God's timeline. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. When the fullness of time had come. You see, Jesus had been prophesied for hundreds of years, for thousands of years, for about 4,000 years. It had been prophesied that God would come to this earth to redeem our sinful condition. But only, even when people didn't believe it, only when God said, hey, this is the time, Jesus came. You see, there's another timeline that we'll talk about when we, when we cover Revelation. There's another time, a dot on the, God's eternal timeline. When Jesus comes back for the church, ultimately comes back to rule and reign, the second coming and the rapture of the church. There's people today said, well, they wrote that 2,000 years ago. I, it's 2,000 years. It still hadn't happened. You, you mark it in your journal. Brother Joel said, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to get the church. And those who are not part of the church, the blood-bought, ain't going, 
okay? And then after seven years, he's going to return uh, to this earth for a 1,000-year reign on this earth. And those who have been taken out beforehand will reign with him on this earth. Now, you can write it in your journal. That's what the Bible says. But I want you to understand something. Just because we don't see it, just because we don't understand it, just because it doesn't fit our calendar does not mean God's not on his throne. That does not mean that God's not still unfolding the future before us. So we got to get to a place where we say, God, I trust you. You're just God, and there is no other. You created me. You sustain me. You have me in your hand. You sent Jesus to save me. So this right now kind of stinks. I still trust you. God, this right here feels pretty good. I still trust you because tomorrow it might stink. No matter where we are, we have to be intentional and resolute in saying, God, I trust you where I am. I trust you that you will be where I go tomorrow. The Bible says, so they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself, and he changed his clothes. Why? Because I got an, an audience with the king. Okay, so he's going to clean himself up, and he comes before Pharaoh, and in verse 15 of chapter 41, it says, Pharaoh now says to Joseph, Joseph, I had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. Now listen to this line, but I have heard about you. I have heard about you, Joseph. Now, here's my question. In this world we live in, what do people hear? What have they heard about you? Ask your neighbor, what are they saying about you? It's a big deal. It's a big deal because they're saying something about you. It's not like you live in a non-existent world. You know how I know? You know how you can know that people are talking about you? Because you're talking about everybody else. Who talked about somebody this week? Raise your hand. Now, remember what I said about lying? Thank you. Okay. We talk about people all the time. Sometimes it's really good. Sometimes it's not really good. They're saying stuff about you too. What are they saying? What do, have people heard about you? Here's the king of the world, the king of the, the, of the greatest nation in the world, ultimately the most powerful man on the planet. And he says to Joseph, I have heard about you. And so we got to be careful of what people hear about us because our name carries some kind of value. I get it sometimes. I used to get it at second all the time. We would go to Walmart, and Kendra and I would, and people would say, hey, Joel, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they talked to me like we were best friends, you know. And I'd be like, yeah, what's up? I'd just play right in there. Yeah, everything's going good. How y'all doing? Yeah, the kids, you know. Yeah, everything's good. Hey, good seeing y'all. I see you. We walk away. Kendra said, who is that? I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know, okay. Now I'm getting it over here. We'll go somewhere and somebody say, hey, don't you pastor over Sturkey Hills? Yeah, yeah. I, last night. I had somebody come and say, hey, Joel, you look like you've been out in the sun. I said, yeah, I've been trying to get my house built. She says, you better be careful in that sun. We're having this conversation. Oh, it's so good seeing you. Hadn't seen you in a while. I said, yeah, I know it's been a while. I'm thinking it's been forever. I've never seen you in my life. And, and, so, and, and so she walked away, and I was sitting. Kendra had taken Judson out. I'm sitting around. I said, I have no clue. Jesus, I, you, you know her. I don't know her. Okay? Maybe she got a new hairdo. I don't know, but I didn't know her. I'm sorry. I didn't know her. Okay? People begin to know you, and they know about you, and they talk about you, and so people are going to hear about you. we got to be careful what people hear. So verse 16, so Joseph replied to Pharaoh, 
Here's his opportunity, right? He has now been moved from the prison to the palace. Here's his opportunity to make right all of the junk that has been brought into his life. He says, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, He says, Pharaoh, I can interpret your dreams, you know. He says, but my brothers, we need to send a posse out, go murder them. Okay, Potiphar's wife who put me in jail, we need to string her up by her toenails, okay? Uh, The cupbearer who was supposed to remember me not two years down the road, he's out, okay? No, here's what he says. This is how we know the character of this man. This is how we learn how you navigate through tough conditions as a child of God. He says, it is not within my power, but God will speak concerning the welfare of Pharaoh. When God moves, often he moves fast. When God wants to take you from the prison to the palace, often it's a moment away, but we get impatient and we question God and we change our circumstances and we, we intervene and interrupt God's plan and we miss out on a blessing. God was at work in Joseph's life now for the last 12 years in prison, teaching him to wait, teaching him to watch, and teaching him to trust a God like Yahweh. So you may be in a place today, and God has you there because he's wanting to teach you something there. Sometimes we'd rather be in a different school, you know? Sometimes we would just like to get, have a different form of education, okay? I mean, when I was growing up, you know my story, ADHD, BCD, LMNOP, no letters, just a paddle. Beat the daylight, the beat the mean out of you. And it worked. Okay, and it worked, relatively speaking. Okay, but I remember growing up, and 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 I I, I would it just didn't work for me. The conventional system was not wired for me, and I, I and I, my mom wasn't down there. Yeah, we need a new system for kids like my son. Okay, no, Jesus says beat him into submission, and it works. Okay, but I'm telling you, there's times in our life when we would rather have a different mode of training. We would like to have a different way of being taught the truths that we need to know. But God doesn't do that. He has his way, and he's good. Number two, from rags to riches, when God changes, when God spins the table around, when God begins to write a different part of your story connected to your name, he moves you from rags to riches. And in the life of Joseph, listen how it plays out. So then Joseph said to Pharaoh, well, Pharaoh, both of your dreams have the same meaning, and God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven good cows represent seven years, and the seven good heads of grain represent seven years, and both dreams have the same meaning. The seven lean, bad-looking cows that came up after them represent seven years, as do the seven empty heads of grain burned with the east wind. They represent seven years of famine. This is just what I told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the whole land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will occur after that in Egypt. The famine will devastate the land. The previous abundance of the land will not be remembered because of the famine that follows, for the famine will be severe. The dream was represented to was repeated to Pharaoh because the matter has been decreed by God and God will make it happen soon. He says, listen, there's going to be seven good years. There's going to be seven bad years. Look out, get ready, because here it comes. All right? That is the interpretation of his dream. It's that simple. He had heard from God. Now, here's what, when God is doing something, listen, he's getting ready to bring worldwide calamity and devastation and potentially, potentially death to this world because Pharaoh and Egypt is located in the Middle East. 
And he's on the shore of the Nile River, which is called the Fertile Crescent. The Fertile Crescent is a body of land that is arguably some of the most fertile soil on the planet. For thousands of years, uh, nutrients and vitamin-rich soil has eroded down into this valley. You can see it from satellite images. That's how fertile this soil is. And if it's going to experience a famine, all of the world around it is going to be devastated. So God is giving them a warning. I'm going to bring famine to Egypt, and that means the rest of the world too. So you better get ready for it. So verse 33, now he says this. Joseph says, so Pharaoh, that's what it means. Now I'm going to tell you what you need to do. Now I want you to watch this. When God starts changing the story connected to your name, this is what it looks like. It's not small. It's supernatural. He says, so now Pharaoh... You should look for a wise and discerning man, and you should give him authority over all of the land of Egypt. Pharaoh should do this also. He should appoint officials throughout the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance, and they should gather all the excess food during these good years that are coming. By Pharaoh's authority, they should store up grain so the cities will have food, that they should preserve it. And this food should be held in storage for the land in preparation for the seven years of famine that will occur throughout the land of Egypt. In this way, the land will survive the famine. And this advice made sense to Pharaoh and all his officials. Now, it seems normal that it should make sense to the king of the world that a slave to the prison system has come into his palace with a fresh slave and a fresh set of duds and told him what the future looks like, and he's told the king what the king needs to do. This makes sense to the king, right? I'm listening to a prisoner. I am listening to a slave. I am listening to a person who is not even one of us. He's a Hebrew. I'm listening. That makes sense. You see, that's what God does when God touches your world. When God begins to do his work in your story connected to your name, he changes everything. He changes the way people perceive you. Well, wait a minute. How come somebody's not raising their hand like Potiphar? Excuse me, king. This guy, we put him in jail for sexual assault on my wife. This guy was our slave. This guy is a Hebrew. No, 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 no because God is at work in the story. It's not finished, this rags to riches story. He just wrote his own job description. Did you get that? He just wrote his own job description. Now listen what happens. It says in verse 38, so Pharaoh asked his officials, guys, can we find a man like Joseph, one in whom the spirit of God is present? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Okay, because God has enabled you to know all this. There is no one as wise and discerning as you are. You will oversee the household. All my people will submit to your commands, and only I, the king, will be greater than you. That's what happens when God touches your name. Now, all of a sudden, he's moved not just to the penthouse suite of the prison system. He's moved to the palace, large and in charge, second in command to the king of the world. And that's what God does. He's not finished. He's not finished. It says in verse 41, see here, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I place you in authority over all the land. Now that would be good enough, but it's not if God's changing your story. Listen what he does now. So then Pharaoh took off his signet ring. His signet ring was his power to purchase. 
He gave it, he took his signet ring off saying, wherever you take this ring, you stamp it and it is done. Then he goes on and he says, not only that, he says, uh, Jojo, that orange suit with a number on the back, although it's clean, that's not the suit for you. So he gives him some fresh linen. He says he clothed him in fine linen clothes. And he put a gold chain around his neck. Now he's starting to look like Flavor Flav, okay? Uh, now he's got, now he's blinging and dinging. Uh, he's got it going on. You know, I got my linen on, got my gold chain. He ain't done yet. Listen to this. He says, now you're going to have to get around town, Jojo. So I'm going to give you the chariot used by the second in command. History says he is, the position is called vice regent to Pharaoh. Now he gets a company ride, a gold chariot. It's a gold chariot. Listen, when God shows up, he'll put you, he'll change your world. Your name will be different. Everything, now they're going to talk about you now, okay? You just came out of the prison and now you're wearing gold chains, fancy clothes, riding around in a gold chariot. Mm-hmm. I mean, life's good, right? He was in the prison, unlawfully he was in the prison and you may be here today and you find yourself in a circumstance maybe you've been looked over on your job maybe you've got a situation with your children that are upside down and messed up maybe you've got a relationship that's broken maybe you just lost your job listen to me God knows all about it. He has you where you are. And if you will trust him and hang on to him in the rough times, he will move you into a different place because that's what God does. He's not finished yet. He's not finished yet. He says, and then not only that, when you roll up in your chariot, he said, here's what's going to happen. He said, you're going to have an entourage with you and they're going to cry out when you show up, everybody kneel down. So he placed him over all the land of Egypt. Now they're bowing down to this guy. He is a prisoner. He is a slave. He is a Hebrew who is in charge of the greatest nation on the planet. I'm telling you, God does good things when we let him. So from the prison to the palace, from rags to riches, thirdly, and this is beautiful, from a no name to a new name, from a no name to a new name. His name was Yosef. Joseph. His name had uh, some things that came along with it. And so now he's going to be large and in charge. He's going to be Pharaoh's right-hand man. He didn't want Joseph to carry his old name so people would keep talking bad about his history. So he gives him a new name. It says in verse 45, Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonath Panea. Sounds like something that you'd order at Starbucks. I don't even know what that is. Okay. Give me a grande Zaphonath Panea. Okay, that's what I feel like when I go to Starbucks. I, I, I want a large. You mean a grande? No, I mean a large, okay? And they, they, I know what they're thinking. You need to go to Waggles, okay? And that's what, that, he names him this name that's unfamiliar to him. But listen, it means something. Listen what it says. It says, Zaphonath Panea, and he also gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, to be his wife. So Joseph took charge of all the land of Egypt. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he began serving Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Joseph was commissioned by Pharaoh, and he was in charge of all of the land of Egypt. Now, listen to this. This is cool. Zaphonath Panea. Tell your neighbor, Zaphonath Panea. Y'all said that. That sounded pretty good, actually. Let's do it again. Zaphonath Panea. All right. Now, now, well, now, what does that even mean? Okay. That's a caramel latte. I don't know. What is that? Okay. Here's what that is. 
We, we don't know exactly what it means, but historians and theologians believe it meant two things to Pharaoh and to the people of Egypt. It meant one who hears from God and one who brings salvation. Okay? Isn't that good? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. His name is not one who hears from God. His name is not one who brings salvation. His name is that junk from his past. His name is the hated brother of a, of, of a family. He, his name is a spoiled brat of his dad. His name is the slave sold into Egypt. His name is a sexual pervert cast into prison. His name is slave. His name is, is prisoner. Ah, not when God touches your story and begins to work a new story with your name. And so here's what happens. He puts him in there and he gives, makes him over everything. And the question is, why has Joseph never asked the obvious questions that you ask and that your pastor asks? God, why did it have to be this way? God, I'm, I'm missing my dad. He f- has forgotten me by now. God, I'm missing my family, even though they didn't like me. They've forgotten all about me by now. God, I, I'm, I'm, I know Potiphar probably forgot about me. Yeah, I know his wife wants to forget about me. Why am I? Di-? And the whole time, God's like, I didn't forget you. I didn't forget you, Joseph. How could I ever forget you, Joseph? The whole time, I've had you right in the palm of my hand. And I want you to hear me, church. Individuals, I want you to hear this. No matter who has forgotten you, no matter who has mistreated you, no matter what has happened in your life, if you're a child of God, he has not forgotten you. He cannot forget you because you're in the palm of his hand. You see, the Bible says that those the Father had given Jesus, Jesus said, those the Father has given me, those that are born again, they're in my hand and nothing shall snatch them away. You are a child of God and he can't forget his children because they're right there in the palm of his hand. Now, don't get me wrong. He'll run you through some tough stuff teaching you what you need to know, but he hadn't forgotten you. And so we're here today, and so what does all this mean? All right? All of you have a name tag. Look at your neighbor and say, I like your name. Now ask them, what does it mean? I was thinking about the name tag, and, and, and I'm Pastor Joel. Sounds civilized, doesn't it? Pastor Joel, okay? And that's a good name tag right there. It's a good name. I wear it with pride. I'm very proud that God has sent. I don't mean pridefully in a sinful way. I'm very proud of where God has me, getting to pastor this wonderful church. I'm serious about that, okay? I'm, I'm delighted. God's doing great things. He's doing miracles. He's healing people. He's doing crazy stuff and saving people. And, and I just get to be here to be a part of it, and I'm tickled. But I was thinking about my name, what if people heard and what is connected to my name and, and, and some things started coming to my mind. And so really, if I, it, it, my name carries some things with it and uh, this one comes to mind. Murder. You say, you've murdered somebody? Well, Jesus said when you've hated somebody in your heart, You've committed the sin of murder. So you're looking at Pastor Joel 
murderer. And then I was thinking, man, I, I know I've, I've done this, and some of y'all did earlier when you didn't raise your hand, liar. I've done that one too. I'm Pastor Joel, murder and liar. Boy, we're going to build the church with that kind of reputation. That's what they're hearing about me. Well, it gets worse before it gets better. This one is this one haunts me too. And this one's this one this one will set you back. Sexual pervert. You say you're a sexual pervert? The Bible, God created sex and He created it beautifully. He created it for one man, one woman, one God, one life. Anything outside of that, adultery, pornography, lust, all of that stuff, sexual perversion. It's a perverted view of sex. So yeah. Pastor Joel. Now, I want y'all to invite your friends to church next week to meet Pastor Joel. <laughs> he's a murderer, he's a liar, and he's a sexual pervert. Yeah, you need to come to our church. The Holy Spirit's doing great thing. Now, so I was thinking about all that, and it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do yours because you got them too. That's how I can be transparent. I'm looking, I'm a sinner looking at sinful people, okay? And you may pretend to be otherwise, but you're not. Okay, just call a spade a spade. That's what it is. But then I was thinking about how did I become pastor with all of that stuff? And some of that, you know, still haunts me. You know, I still tell, sometimes don't tell the whole truth maybe. Or sometimes I, 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 uh, I might hate on somebody a little too much. Or sometimes I might have a lustful thought. So I'm still, still guilty. So what do I do about that? What do you do about that? What did Joseph do? about everybody looking at him and saying, you're not even one of us. You're a slave. You're a stinking prisoner and a sexual pervert. Joseph said, no, I'm not. I'm Zaphonath Paneah. I'm the one who brings salvation. I'm the one who hears from God. I was thinking about that. And I, and I remembered... That 45 years ago in the spring, I was in a revival and somebody told me, this 10-year-old sinful little boy, that God created me with a purpose and he loved me right where I was and he loved me too much to leave me there. And he wanted to come into my life and save me from my sinful condition and adopt me into his family and make me his forever child. And even as a little 10-year-old boy, I remembered the conviction of the filth of who I was, even as a little boy. And I remembered the, the greatness of the God that was calling my name louder than audibly, speaking into my soul. And on that night, the final night of that revival, I walked the aisle of that little church in Norris, Tennessee. I told the preacher, I don't understand all that stuff, but I believe God wants to save me. And I want Jesus to come into my life. And on that night, he came into my life and he saved me forever. And I was born again on that night. And so liar, sexual pervert, murderer, and everything else that was in there was born again and washed in the blood of Jesus on that night. And even though today I may mess up, tomorrow I may commit a sin, I'm still under the blood of that initial moment when I gave myself to the King of glory, the resurrected Jesus Christ. And listen to me, 
What does that have to do with Aspenath, Pania? Joseph was called by God to carry salvation to his world because he heard from God. And today, (laughs) I've heard from God and he's called me to bring salvation to the world just like Aspenath, Pania. Now listen to me. Just because I'm pastor makes me no different than you. If you are born again, if the true and living God has taken up residence in your life and he has saved you, some of you he has not saved. Some of you, many of you he has saved. It comes with a calling. It comes with a mission. He didn't save you just to put you on the bench. He saved you to hear from him and take salvation to the world. And so every week, every day goes by and we have opportunities to to shine a light in somebody's dark world, to, to bring salvation to those that God puts in our circle. And often we don't do anything with it. We let those moments, those those encounters, those divine appointments, we just let them go by. But listen, God will hold us accountable for that, me and you alike. So my challenge for you this morning is this. Maybe today... You need a new name. You need Christian to cover your name. You need blood-bought, born-again, whatever you want to call it, saved. You need that name put over your name so that God will begin to write a different story with your name. And if that's you, I don't want you to bow your heads. I want you to look right here at the pastor. God loves you no matter what you've done. He loved you before time began. He planned for you to be here even on this very day. He's watched every moment of your life. He's seen your good days. He's seen your bad. He's seen your good actions. He's seen your sinful actions. He's seen every thought you've had, and he still chooses to love you. He loves you so much that he came to this earth and died on a cross and paid that sin debt. He paid the debt for you, a debt he didn't owe and a debt you couldn't pay. And now he invites you to come and receive that gift. It's called grace. And maybe you're here today, and today is the day you feel, just like I did 45 years ago, a keen awareness of your condition before God and a keen awareness of the fact that he still loves you. Now's your opportunity to respond. Doesn't matter how old or how young you are. Doesn't matter about what people have been saying about you. This is between you and God. If you need to be saved today, you simply say, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I believe the story that Jesus came from heaven to save me. I want Jesus to save me on this day. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I want to live for you from this day forward. And he'll save your forever soul. Now, for the rest of us that are already saved, it's time we get serious about why God saved us. You're supposed to be taking salvation to the world. And you say, well, I am. No, you're not, because this place and the other churches around here are not full. We need to be serious about reaching people with salvation story. 